number eight, week number eight, and we're talking about understanding the love of God, understanding the love of God. And uh, let's go to the book of Galatians chapter five, and we'll, we'll pick up right there. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to sow the word. You said the sower soweth the word. And Lord, today we're sowers of the word of God. And Lord, we thank you that the word does not return void, but it accomplishes that which you please and it prospers to the thing whereunto it is sent. And so t- today, Father, we thank you for the word to fall on good ground of our hearts today and receive 30, 60, and 100 fold. And so, Lord, we give you all the glory and all the praise today for what you're about to do in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been really enjoying this series. I enjoy every series that I do, but I, this one in particular, because when you talk about love, it's so close to the heart of God. Is it not? Amen. It's so close to the heart of God. By the way, I want to take the opportunity before I minister the word. I want to congratulate Brother Gary. He just uh, retired from his position at American Airlines after 35 years. Amen. God bless you. Amen. In this next adventure in your life. Amen. I guarantee you'll have more energy for sure. <laughs> Amen. But in Galatians, Galatians, the fifth chapter, uh, let's pick up in verse 13. Read a couple of verses here. The epistle that Paul wrote here by the Spirit of God says in verse 13, For brethren, you have not been called unto liberty... Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but to love, serve one another. I like that phrase, love, serve. Did you know love serves? Who is love? God is love. And love serves. You'll find in the ministry of Jesus, right after his resurrection, you'll find him making breakfast with a grill on the side of the seashore, making fish, fried fish, for his followers, making them breakfast. They didn't know it was him right away. And then he revealed himself to them. They're like, and here you have the king of kings that has been raised, literally went through hell, <laughs> literally, and was raised from the dead. And he's coming back. And what's he doing? He's making breakfast for his followers. Did you know that that's what they do in heaven? They serve. Amen. You know, I like what Jesus said because his disciples came to him and they were saying about who can be greatest in the kingdom of God. Can, can I, can, you know, the, was it mother, the mother of James and John came and said, I want to ask you something. Can, can you grant that my sons will sit on your right and your left hand in the kingdom of heaven? And his disciples heard that. <laughs> they heard that. And they got, in, they got, uh, they got angry, okay, because she's trying to position herself, her kids, into the, this place. And Jesus calmed them down. He says, look, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, he goes, be a servant of all. Amen. There was a song written from Maranatha Singers years ago in the 70s. If you want to be a great, be a servant. Amen. But that's taken from that scripture. And the greatest among us will be a servant of all. Amen. And so it's interesting, the Apostle Paul, I never thought of it. I had to be the Holy Spirit brought this to my attention. Paul would always refer to himself as a servant before he was an apostle. He said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ and a servant of our Lord Jesus Christ. He would put his servant's ministry first because if we have a servant's heart, whether we're an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, it'll keep our head on straight. Okay? 
It's not a matter of titles, it's a matter of responsibility, and it's a matter of having the right mindset and the right heart. A prophet is, first of all, a servant. An apostle is a servant. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher are servants before their title. Amen? And so he says that we are to, we have not been called to use liberty to the flesh, to an occasion of the flesh, but to love, serve. Verse 13, love, serve one another. Amen? How many of you know serving is a wonderful thing? Serving God. And serving people. Actually, if you serve God, you serve people. Praise God. There's something in the heart. Do you ever notice that when you got saved and you came to Jesus, there's something in your heart that just wants to help people, that just wants to serve people. Just make life better for them. How many of you find that to be true? You just, it just rises up on the inside of you. It's, it's just a wonderful thing. Glory be to God. For all the law, in verse 14, all the law is fulfilled in this one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. All the law, notice this, is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Praise God. Now, we brought out this fact last week, and I'll conclude with this today, that it's really important for us to realize that when we walk in the love of God, we don't have to be concerned about breaking any of the Ten Commandments. Because love is a fulfilling, it says right here, is a fulfilling of the law. Amen? Love fulfills the law. Hallelujah. Now, with that thought in mind, I want you to go over to uh, Romans chapter 13. I want you to see this. In Romans chapter 13. Praise the name of Jesus. In Romans chapter 13, that, that Paul, that, by the Spirit of God, said basically the same thing here in verse 9. It says, For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any, any other commandment is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love, and here's where we're in right here, verse 10. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfilling of the law. Can I have an amen? amen. My goodness. Love worketh no ill. To his neighbor, fellow man. Therefore, love is a fulfilling of the law. Love fulfills the rest of the law. Now, with that thought in mind, I want you to go to John chapter 13. And we're going to look at this in the Amplified. John chapter 13, verse starting in verse 34. Praise the Lord. You ready to get excited today? Hallelujah. Okay. Now, love is a fulfilling of the law. We saw that here, okay? So, if we're walking in love, you're not going to steal from your neighbor. You're not going to lie about them. You're not going to bear false witness. You know, it just amazes me today when you look at what, what has been going on with our, with our president and the, the perpetrated uh, audacity for people to lie, purposely lie about him whether you like them or not, okay? But just bearing false witness, telling lie after lie after lie. Well, you know, Jesus said the devil is a liar and the father of lies. And so people that are, that are bringing accusation, their spiritual father is the devil. 
And so they're taking after him. Remember Jesus said in John 8, 44, he said, you're a, he told the religious people that day, think about this. I mean, they got the robes on and everything else. He said, you're of your father, the devil, and you obey what he tells you to do, his lust. Okay? Well, the truth is, truth be told, before we were saved, Satan was our spiritual father. We may not have known that. Probably didn't know that. I didn't know that. But you know, you're, you're, it's about the father and his family. We're, we're, we're either in one family or the other. We're either children of God or children of the devil. There's no in-between, right? There's no zone that you get in there and you're safe one way or the other. We're either of the family of God or the family of the devil. How many of you know that's true? There's only two families on the earth. Now, when we come into the family of God, we have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness. Think about that. We've come out of the kingdom of darkness and we've been translated into the kingdom of His dear Son and whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Okay. In John 13, verse 34, in, in the Amplified says, Jesus said, I give you a new commandment that you should love one another. Notice that, a new commandment. So He's adding <laughs> to the other commandments. I give you a new commandment, another commandment. That, what's that commandment? That you should love one another just as I have loved you. So you should love one another. Now we spent seven, well the, up till now we spent seven weeks talking about how much does God love me. That's so important, isn't it? And we covered some basic things about, you know, that if you were the only person on this earth that sin, Jesus still would have came. God still would have sent His Son and died just for you. That's how much He loves you. We saw from the Scriptures that, that, that God loves you as much as He loves Jesus. In John 17, 23, Jesus prayed that the world would know that the Father loves the people, His people, as much as He loves His Son. Hallelujah. So God loves us as much as He loves Jesus. And that love can never, we started out by talking about how that God's love is unconditional. It doesn't change. You can't, you can't get God to love you any more or any less. There's nothing you can do. Amen? Unconditional love. Think about that. Who wouldn't in their right mind be drawn to a God like that? Because in the natural, people have conditions, right? They have conditions. But I mean, with God, there's no condition. He loves you unconditionally. Even if you decided today, I'm going to quit serving God. I'm not going to serve Him anymore. I mean, that wouldn't please the Lord, but it would never stop him from loving you because he still loves you. Isn't that the truth? But Jesus said here, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another just as I have loved you. Now that's really important here because we can't really love one another until we know how much we are loved. Amen? We sang a song when I was growing up and my uh, Sunday school in my church, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's important because the Bible is what tells you that. You don't know that God loves you until you read it in the Scriptures. It dawned on me one time years ago that everything I know in my life that I know about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, had to come from the Word of God. Because you're never going to pick that up in your five senses. Our our our. Our basis for belief and understanding and learning and growing and, and believing has to be upon what the Word of God says about us. It's not real important so much what other people say about you 
What does God say about you? That's the important thing. That's what really counts. That's what really matters. Amen? So, Neil, if, I, if, if I'm rejected by somebody, I've been rejected by people just like you have, right? Okay? That, that, that has no value. That has no bearing on my self-worth and my self-value. Because I know I'm loved of the Father. Amen? Now, if people really knew me, they'd love me. <laughs> they sure would. I'm not saying that braggingly or anything like that, but if they really knew my heart and they knew who I, I mean, they would, they might think I'm their worst enemy, but I'm actually their best friend. Do you know that Jesus Christ was the best friend you could ever have? But some people looked at him like the worst enemy ever. It's called deception. What a, what's that song about being, what a friend we have in Jesus? That old hymn, remember that? You'll never have a better friend than Jesus. I can tell you that. Never. There's never been. He totally gets you. He understands you. He knows what makes... Even when you don't understand. Sometimes you, you go, Lord, I don't know why I did that. God says, I do. Okay? He understands you better than you know yourself. So he's able to work with you. He's not deceived by that. He's not thrown... Uh, you know, it, he's not messed up by that. Okay? So when we understand the Father's love towards us is unconditional, that produces a security in our hearts that He's going to take care of me. I was listening to Joan Hunter, who's uh, the daughter of uh, uh, Francis and Charles Hunter, if you remember them, the Happy Hunters. They ministered healing years ago. They're in heaven now, but anybody ever heard of them before? You know, they were real big in the 70s. Tremendous ministry. But Joan, you know, she was sharing some things. I was listening to her last night, actually, a wonderful ministry, really good healing ministry. And she went through some really hard things uh, a couple of years back, maybe 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, and uh, went through some really tough times. But she just knew because of the way she was raised from her parents. Jesus, I don't know how you're going to work this out, but I trust you. You're going to work it out. You're going to work it out. I just trust you, Lord. She didn't know how things were going to happen. She didn't know how bills were going to be paid. She didn't know how her body was going to be healed. You know, but God worked it all out because she had a revelation of how much she was loved of God. And see, love produces security. Just like with you and your family members, when you instill love in them, love can grow. It should grow, can grow, will grow. But when we instill love into people, it produces a security in them. Okay? And which makes people relax. They can be relaxed. Amen? And you can be relaxed in God's presence. You don't have to be tense or uptight. Like sometimes we feel that way around certain people. But you know, when you know that you're in, a, in the presence of a, of a God that loves you so much that He'll do anything for you, He listens to every word that you say, He listens to every utterance that you speak. That produces a calmness and a quietness and a peace and a surety that the Father is going to work these things out that you might be going through. Hallelujah. After all, you're not the only person that's going through something. I know when, you're, when we're going through something, we tend to focus on our, man, wow, this is really rough right now. This is tough. But let me tell you something. There's, there's other folks that are out there. And sometimes it helps to know that, that, you're not the only one going through the same thing. Maybe someone else is going through something even ten times worse than what you are. And they made it. They survived. They made it through. You know, and, and God gives us, and I think that's one of the 
great benefits of testimony sometimes because you never know what your testimony is going to do to inspire someone else in the room or individually that might be going through a real hard place, but after hearing your testimony, it gives them a hope that I can come through this because they came through this. It's really important, isn't it? Okay, so again, 34 says, I, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I've loved you, that you should love one another. Now notice verse 35. Are you ready for this one? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another, if you keep on showing love among yourselves. Huh. Say by this. Now praise be to God. By this, what? Love. Jesus said, by this, love. Everybody's going to know that you're my disciples. For what, How are they going to know it, Pastor Keith? They're going to know it because of the love that you demonstrate for one another. Praise the Lord. Now you know there's an unhealthy competition in the world. People try to compete with one another, and there's, a, there's an unhealthy side to that. But there's one thing that you can never feel sad about or bad about is trying to out-love one another. Trying to out-love one another. What can I do to love you more? What can I do to serve you more? Amen? What if we took on the attitude and the mindset? The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And it talks about he became a servant. He said, we're to, we're to let that mind be in us. Everything that we do if it's, if it's based on the love of God, we're going to want to love, serve. We're going to want to bless people and help them, make their life better. Amen? That's exactly what Jesus demonstrated. See, he knew at the Last Supper, he knew what was going to take place in just a few short hours. And the awful pain and agony that he went through, that he shed drops of blood, you know what he was going through. Okay? But you know, the Bible says that Jesus endured the cross with joy in the book of Hebrews. <laughs> what? <laughs> he endured the cross with joy? The only way that he could endure that cross, no one could have went through what he went through. But he did. Because of his great love. See, the reason people don't appreciate Jesus more than they should. Some people, he's just the man upstairs. I don't like that phrase. You hear some athletes say, the man upstairs is watching us today. We won the game. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but, you know, it's, to me it's a lack of respect, the man upstairs trying to be cool. You know what I mean? Trying to be like Fonzie or something. You know what I mean? The man upstairs. No, we're talking God, Jehovah. The God. That, and he deserves reverence and respect. Does he not? And there's such a lack of, in the earth today, there's such a lack of reverence and respect for not only God, but for other people as well. People are taught to rebel against authorities and question, you know, authorities and things like that. You know, that's just the wrong spirit. Amen? But I'll tell you what, when the love of God's inside your heart, you want to do good. You want to make people's lives better. You want to help them. Amen? And I, I, you can't help but allow that to happen when, you, when you're God conscious, and, which is love conscious, and you spend time in the Lord's, in His presence, even for a couple of minutes, 
for goodness sake, even in your car, you can, you know, driving to church, how long does it take you to drive to church? You know, you can spend that time just praying in the Spirit, talking to God, worshiping, putting music on or something that's going to uplift the Lord. Amen. I'm not talking oldies and rock music. I'm talking about, I'm talking about worship music. You know what I'm saying? Get, get you some of that and some of the stuff we play in church, you know, and whatever it takes to get into the presence of God. Because when you do, you know, the, the, the first thing you want to do is not hurt somebody. You want to bless them. You want to love them. Amen? And it just, it just comes out of you. It's, it's in you. It's going to come out. Amen? It's going to come out. Well, Jesus said, this is the distinguishing mark. By the love that you have towards one, towards another, is going to be the biggest sign and signal that you're a believer. By the love. All men are going to know that you're my disciples. How? The fact that you speak with tongues? No. The fact, the fact that you lay hands on the sick? No. Love. Actually, love is what helps you to speak with tongues. Love is what helps you to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. It's compassion. It's love. Okay? Oh, thank you, Lord. And we have the capacity. Think about this. I feel the Holy Spirit when I say this coming up in me. We have the capacity to operate in the very same compassion that Jesus operated in when he was on this earth. The same capacity. Because it's the same Holy Spirit. There's not two Holy Spirits. There's not twins. It's the same Holy Spirit. The Bible says, If the same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken and make alive your mortal body. There's healing there. So the same Spirit that was in Jesus is on the inside of you. Now we all know what it's like to be body conscious, right? Touchy feeling. Right? Five senses, you know. We know what it's like, for example, you wake up in the morning and your body says, I'm tired. I feel cranky. I feel groggy this morning. Tired. You know what I'm saying? We say that about our kids growing up. They're just tired. <laughs> the dog acts up. They're just tired. Didn't get enough sleep, you know. <laughs> oh, why am I saying that? But, uh, you know, we know what it's like to be body conscious, but you can also become, and we can become more spirit conscious than we are body conscious. Your, your physical body has a voice, does it not? Your body wants to, is tired sometimes. Your body gets cranky sometimes. Your body has a voice. You know, sometimes people get on your nerves in the flesh, right? I'm sure you've never had that happen, right? You're you may not say it, but you feel it, right? Well, you know, the thing is, you don't have to yield to that. You don't have to yield to that. I've been around some people through the years that have been, not been real pretty nice people to be around. But when I've been in God's presence and I get around them, I can overlook that and I can get right to the heart of the matter there and, and shift into the Spirit. See, walking in the Spirit is not that you're like, you're like hovering around above everybody else. And you're like, oh, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You know, that's not walking in the Spirit. Okay? Walking in the Spirit literally means walking in the love of God. That's the closest you can get on the earth to the Lord is by walking in love. That's the closest way. Praise God. You know, it's not your job, it's not our job to condemn people. It's not our job to do that. 
Okay? The Bible even says, who is he that condemneth? It's God that justifieth. <laughs> who is he? See, sometimes we try to be Holy Ghost Junior sometimes. You know, we try to bring conviction on them. You know what I'm saying? But I've noticed this, that it never works. It never works. But I say, I say this. The Bible says, speak the truth in love. In Ephesians it says, speak the truth in what? Now, Paul is writing to ministers there in Ephesians chapter 4. He's writing to apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He says that speak the truth in love may grow up in him in all things. He's talking about ministering to the, work, the people, the congregation. Minister speaking the truth. But notice this, with love. So you can speak the truth. We have the, we have the, the option to speak the truth, but not in love where it's a sword and it cuts rather than heals. Okay? Now, don't get me wrong. The Spirit of God can bring correction, but it's not going to hurt you. It's going to help you. The Bible says the Father corrects whom He loves. Okay? And we can just, see, in an instant, see something. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yes. I thank you, Lord. You showed me that. I, okay, I need to change that. I repent from that right now in Jesus' name. You know what I mean? And it, it just like just like that. But he's not condemning you. Listen, if God ever condemned you or me, we'd never be we'd be up a crick without a paddle forever. We'd never have a hope. We'd never have an end. Okay. But sometimes God just loves us through our mess. He's always there for us. You look at the prodigal son in the Gospel of Luke. The prodigal son had two sons. There was a certain man that had two sons in Luke chapter 15. Remember that? And uh, you remember the story how that the one son, the younger son, I believe it was, uh, took part of his father's inheritance, went out there and wasted it, riotous living and so forth, you know, and went out there and did his thing in the flesh. He got in the flesh, right? Well, he got to the point where the curse started operating in his life in Luke 15. He was impoverished. He began to eat the food that were given to the hogs. He said, man, I never had it this bad back in my father's house, you know. And this, there's a little key verse in the Luke 15 about the prodigal son. It says, when he came to himself. Sometimes we need to come to ourselves, right? And sometimes people need to come to their senses. They need to come to themselves. Now, we try to force that sometimes for a person to come to themselves, but they're not ready yet. And that's one of the biggest mistakes we can make is try to force someone to come to their senses. We're, we see it, but they don't. But it's better to let them come to their senses because the prodigal son says, you know, when he came to himself, he said, I had it better back in my father's house. And then he took upon himself, he says, I know what I'll do. I'll go back and I'll be like one of the hired servants, right? He says, I'll work my way back into the father's house. But the father said, when he saw his son coming, he prepared a fatted calf prepared a robe and a ring, which is all the sign of the covenant. And he ran as he was coming back. Now the father didn't chase after the son, but when the son was coming back, he met him. But he didn't meet him with condemnation. He didn't meet him with guilt and said, what a jerk you've been. You left me and all this stuff here. Look what you did to us. You know what I'm saying? He didn't do that. He fell on his face and he embraced him and kissed him. And the, young, the older son, I think, he's the one that got upset. 
He said, man, you never treated me like this. You know, I never got a fatted calf and all this. But the father said this. He says, all that I have is thine. It's all there for you just for the taking. You didn't take advantage of what belongs to you. It's all there. It's all there. Everything God has already belongs to us. But what I want, the point I want to make is this. Look at the attitude of the prodigal, the, the father of the prodigal son. His attitude wasn't like anger or bitterness. He was just thankful he was dead, but now he's alive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so the father embraced him. And there's nothing like the father's embrace when he embraces us. When we come back to Him. Sometimes we come back in different methods, in different ways. Sometimes it's just a mind shift, a way of thinking. We come back and we're like, what have I been doing? You know what I'm saying? And, um, but the Father's always, He's right there to meet us. Amen? By this, say by this. He says, shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one towards another. Hallelujah. And I believe that before Jesus Christ splits the eastern sky, and we're going to be that generation, I believe, that will see the second return of Christ, the rapture of the church. We are going to be that generation. And there are people today that, this is another little sub subject that kind of unnerves me sometimes, but there are people that preach from the pulpits that the church is going through the tribulation. Now listen, I don't care who you are, or where you come from, or what kind of degrees you have, that does not line up with Scripture. That does not line up with the Word of God. But we are the, I believe with all my heart, because all the prophecies have been fulfilled, nation, the nation of Israel has become, the fig tree has shot forth leaves, Jesus said. And when you see that happen, know that the end is near. And in 1948, Israel became a nation after thousands of years, became a nation again. And then in 1967, they recaptured Jerusalem in the Six-Day War. And all the things that are happening, and look what, look what our president has done now with Israel, with their, uh, their headquarters now in the last year. Every other president said they would do it, and they never did anything about it. That's what I like about our president. He does what he says. Like him or, or hate him, whatever people say, you know what I'm saying? I like him. Amen. He's doing more good for Israel and he's doing good, more good for the church than any other person ever that's been a president. And we, we need to thank God for that. Amen? It's so easy to get on the negative side of things and say, well, I don't like the way he talks sometimes. You know, say, but look at what he's doing. Look at what he's accomplishing. Is it, is it actually real that a politician does what they say? Yeah. <laughs> that's the first time in my life I've ever seen it. I promise you, if you elect me, I will do this for you. And it's a bunch of hogwash, you know what I'm saying? But this man does what he says, right? And I thank God for that because he's a friend of the church. He supports the things of the church. He supports pro-life. He supports these things, okay? And I'm not trying to get political. It might sound like it, but I'm really not. It's really spiritual, Okay? You know, when it, comes, when it comes to the voting next year, people need to ask themselves, I'm not voting for a person per se. I'm voting for a platform. What does that platform stand for? What do they represent? What do they support? What have they voted on in the past? Was it either biblical? See, people ask me sometimes, how do you vote? Republican or Democrat? I said, I vote Bible. They're like, what? I said, whoever supports the Bible gets my vote. Okay? Amen? And God, that's the way the, lay, the laws of the land are laid out. So when we support someone that supports the Bible, there's going to be peace. Amen?
So by this shall all people, all men know that you're my disciples if you have love towards one another. Let's go over to 1 Thessalonians real quick here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Josh, let's do this in NLT, starting in verse 8. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. Verse 9 says, But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God Himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Isn't that an interesting scripture there? That He goes, Jesus, is, the Lord's already taught us how to, how to love one another. I don't need, I just need to mention that to you. He says right here, he says, we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other for God himself has taught you to love one another. The Apostle John, we've talked about him uh, quite a bit throughout this series, how he was the apostle of love. You know, and uh, he understood by that phrase, you know, I'm the apostle who Jesus loves. You know, we brought out the fact that the only reason he said that is because he had a revelation of how much Jesus loved him. And so he had no problem getting close to him. You'll see even at the Last Supper, you'll see him up against the, the breast of Jesus, you know, and in a pure sense. There was an affection, there was a love for him. And there is such a thing as a pure thing like that, isn't there? The Bible even says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, there's also an unholy kiss. Look at what Judas did. He kissed Jesus. That was an unholy kiss because he was doing it for betrayal. Amen? But John understood some things about love. And church history has it that they tried to kill him. I think it was Nero tried to put him in a vat of oil and boil him alive, torture and so thinking, because normally they put a person in there and they come up, it's, they put them in that's flesh, they come up, it's just bones. Okay? It just melts right off their body. They put him in there and, and they brought him back up with a hook. And when they brought him up, he was alive. There was nothing wrong with him. Supernaturally protected. And no, that would freak the leaders out. They'd say, my God, this guy's indestructible. So they decided to put him on an island called the Isle of Patmos, which is still there to this day. You can visit that place, the Isle of Patmos. And that's where they put the worst case prisoners. You know, it's kind of like uh, Alcatraz right off the coast of California. <laughs> Back in the day when they put all the worst people over there, right? And uh, well, that was like the Alcatraz of the day back then on the Isle of Patmos. And so they're thinking, we're going to shut him up. He'll go over there and just, we'll just put him on the land. He, they're not going to feed him. He had to get his own food, just living off the land, so to speak, you know. Basically, most people didn't make it. But over there is where he wrote the book of Revelation, the Spirit of God. He said, I saw the Lord, on, I saw Jesus on the Lord's day. He was high and lifted up and he wrote the book of Revelation. Amen. And they, church history tells us that when people knew that this was the Apostle John, the last living apostle that died of a ripe old age, he was not martyred. He's the only disciple 
out of all the 12 that was not martyred. He lived well into his near 100 years old. Okay? And then he went home to be with Jesus. And uh, But people would come to him because they knew who he was that respected him. And he said the only thing, I got this from Rick Renner. He was a Greek scholar. You know, he said this. He said, all he kept saying to the people when they would come to him for advice, he would say, brethren, just love one another. Love one another. Yeah, but is there something deeper? Just love one another. <laughs> this is the very end of his ministry, the Apostle John. I think the greatest apostle that ever lived. Amen? Uh, outside of the Apostle Paul. I mean, out of the, out of the 12 disciples... I think the, 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 most, the closest one to Jesus was the Apostle John. So he had, he had a lot to say about love. He's called the Apostle of Love. That's what people call him. And he has more to say about love in his epistles than any other epistles in the New Testament. Amen? First, second, and third John and, and Revelation. And he understood more about that than anything else. And he just kept, when people would come to him. You know, it's like going to someone that's had been on the earth for a long time and they've been an expert in a certain area and you go to ask them advice, okay? Pick their brain, so to speak, and get information from them. When they did this to the Apostle John, he just said, now Rick Renner brought this up, he just kept saying over, because church history has it, certain things recorded, he just kept saying, love one another. That's the greatest commandment, just keep love. He kept emphasizing that, just love one another, because if people do that, it's going to it's going to knock off so many things that could cause problems in the flesh. Okay? See, if, if a person is grounded in the... The Bible says we're to be rooted and grounded in the love of God. If we're properly rooted and grounded in the love of God, then we're not going to get jealous when someone else is blessed. I, I'm, I'm telling you. And I don't know about you, but I've been around sometimes people that, you know, you tell them something good and you, you sense a spirit of jealousy. <laughs> it's like, whoa, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Like, who are they? You know what I mean? Now, they don't say it, but you just kind of pick up on it. You know what I'm saying? But real love, if, if truthfully, if you get blessed, if somebody, something happens to you, if somebody, for example, right now, if somebody came in here and gave you a brand new car, the best car you can ever think of, and gave it to you, and it was just one person in here we should be, thank you, Jesus, that that sister or that brother got blessed right now. Thank you, Lord. And, no, and, and, and if, if a person gets jealous, it just shows they're not ready for that same type of promotion. Amen? Because jealousy is simply this. It says, I want, I want what you have. But envy takes it one step further. Envy says, I want to deprive you of what you have so I can have it. You don't deserve it, but I deserve it. Envy is even more wicked. Okay? And the, the people in the book of Acts, they were moved with envy towards Paul. Paul, they were, so, they were not just jealous of Paul. They were envious of him. They thought, how can he be used of God like this? You know? And they were, they were moved, the Bible says, moved with envy. Okay? And they did the same thing with Jesus. They did the same thing with Stephen. Remember that? Stephen, I'll close with this this morning. There's something really interesting about Stephen. You know, you read about Stephen in the book of Acts. And, uh, you know, he waited on tables. They chose men. Remember that? To, uh, so the apostles could spend time in the Word of God in prayer that the Word of God multiplied, increased. And they chose, was it seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, that we may appoint over this business. 
And they did that, right? One of them was Stephen. He was waiting on tables. He was serving, taking care of widows. But God would use him and minister to people and healing would take place. And there was a great persecution that rose up against Stephen. And the Apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus before he became the Apostle Paul, was in charge of that. And the Bible says that he stood there and he held the coats of the people that stoned Stephen. But he was responsible for it. Saul of Tarsus went in, he hailed men and women out of Christians, out of houses, beat them, tortured them, dragged them out. All right? And, uh, and so now here you have Stephen who's there ready to be stoned. Rocks. There's no shortage of rocks over in uh, Israel. You know that. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. And so he said this. Stephen looked up and he saw Jesus, a spiritual vision. He saw Jesus standing, not sitting, at the right hand of God the Father. You talk about approval. Jesus stood up, standing ovation, stood up and looked at him. And he says, I see Jesus. And they put their hands in their ears. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. And, uh, and before they threw the rocks at him, I believe with all of my heart, he didn't feel one of those rocks. Uh, there's a grace for people that go through this kind of thing with, uh, uh, you know, this type of persecution and martyrism. There's a grace that comes with that. And I believe God just took his spirit out of his body. He didn't feel anything. Just, just took it right out. But he said this. Stephen said this. He said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. In other words, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Do you remember that? This is a man like you and I that had feelings. And he's about to be stoned. And he says this prayer out loud. He said, Lord, Lay not this sin to their charge. In other words, forgive them. See, Jesus prayed that on the cross, didn't he? He said, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. But yet here you have another person, another man, that's about to be put out of this earth. And he says, Lord, he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Now, who heard that prayer? Saul of Tarsus and his crew. He said it loud enough that they heard it because they recorded it. Lay not this sin to their charge. Now, he's right now, presently, at that point, he's still Saul of Tarsus. He's a chief persecutor of the church. He's a chiefest of sinners, he said. Later on, he said that about himself. But he thought he was doing God's service. And that's like the same thing with people in Islam and things like that. Think they're actually doing God's service. Not even realize they're on the enemy side killing innocent people and things like that. What happened after that? Well, the apostle Saul of Tarsus was on the road to Damascus right after, shortly after this happened. And he's going there for the same reason. He's gonna, he had letters from the governor to go into anybody that was called a Christian in the way. He's going to drag them out and persecute them. It put, struck fear into a lot of people. And as he's on the road on his horse going to Damascus, suddenly there's shown a light round about him from heaven. And Jesus spoke to him in the Hebrew tongue saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Remember that? 
And he knocked, the power of God literally knocked him off his horse. Boom, he fell back. And he was blinded by the glory of God. It wasn't a physical blindness, it was a spiritual thing. Okay? And that when he fell to the ground, he instantly got saved. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Remember that? All he said was, Lord. And <laughs> he got saved. He didn't say the sinner's prayer. He didn't pray the Romans road prayers. You know what I mean? Because I wasn't even written yet, because he wrote that later. He just said, Lord. And the Bible says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's all it takes. It's just that simple for someone to get saved. It's that simple. Lord. Bam. They get saved. And so, and the Lord spoke to him. He said, go to the city and that will be the next step. I'll tell you what you need to do. But go to the city. Okay. Now, how did all that transpire? I believe it happened when Stephen released love. You never know what love is going to do to your enemies. That worst enemy that's out there could end up becoming the next Billy Graham or Oral Roberts or Kenneth Hagin or Kenneth Copeland, right? Or whoever. But Stephen said, Lord, forgive them. Lay not this sin to their charge. And what did God do with you? He sent the Holy Ghost, sick him, Holy Ghost. He got after, he got after the worst persecutor of the church who became the most effective apostle ever in the world. 